0: We're going to have that moment of silence now, please. God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about you, about me, about my fellow man, about the 12 steps, and please allow me to gain a fresh new vision, perspective, and understanding of what you, what me, what my fellow man, and the 12 steps are all about. Amen. The Big Book Compendium is not affiliated with C.A., DAA, or any other 12-step organization, nor are we bound to any fellowship by association. Our groups are bound together in love we all share for the Big Book and the program of recovery contained in it. We are simply a virtual fellowship hall where all are welcome, regardless of their addiction or imperfections. Page 159 to 160 of the Big Book sums up what the Big Book Compendium is all about. In addition to these casual get-togethers, it became customary to set apart one night a week for a meeting to be attended by anyone or everyone interested in a spiritual way of life. I want to welcome everybody to the Great Reality. Uh, I also want to let you know that there's other uh, Big Book Compendium uh, groups. Uh, Tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, which is 11 a.m. Pacific Time, and 7 p.m., I believe, UK Time. Uh, we have the steps we took. Tomorrow will be step one, and that will be facilitated with by James O. So if you can make it tomorrow, we'd love to see it. Also, the Big Book Compendium have meetings that go Monday to Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Uh, they are all facilitated by different uh, people, but they're all Big Book based. On Monday night, we have page. And her study, A New Light. On Tuesday, we have The Fourth Dimension with Evan Oh, On Wednesday, we have The Two Davids, uh, The Purpose of This Book. And on Thursday, we have The Great Reality with Steve. If you are looking for a sponsor or you can sponsor, please put the information in the chat, and I will try to match you with somebody that uh, lives close in the, the neighborhood. If there's any information that you need, please don't hesitate to reach out to me in the chat and I will try to answer your questions or help you out. Remember, we're here to help you on your journey, not to make more things more difficult. But whatever we can do to help you out, please don't hesitate. Uh, and now I want to bring to you Steve W. Take it away, Steve.
1: All right, Steve, a recovered alcoholic. Welcome. Uh I'm sure it's cold in some places, but um, one thing I wanted to mention, Rob will put it in the chat, is, is Big Book Compendium is, you know, we are expanding a lot of our things, and one thing we're doing is building a website, and and uh, we have other costs, like Zoom and everything else, like so, we, so we have a PayPal account, and uh, any little donation will be great, It'll be very appreciated. And then we're on YouTube as well. We're almost cracking 300 videos and we just broke 800 subscribers yesterday, which is pretty awesome. So, um, and we're also on Facebook. So, um, I'm gonna start this off the way we usually do and just, you know, half a minute or a minute of of, uh, silent meditation. You know, just breathe and give yourself a minute with your, center yourself. Let me uh, set the recording.
2: Recording in progress.
1: All right, Steve Wood, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome to the Great Reality Book Study. So this is a quick, you know, last week we covered very entry-level history. We didn't really get into Alcoholics Anonymous too much, but we talked a lot about alcohol and addiction history, you know, the early laws and the disciplines and stuff, and how alcohol was so prevalent in the, uh, 1700s because water purification was so bad a lot of people were drinking um and then there's like we talked about how you know you went from them them taking opium and creating morphine and and then to treat the morphine addicts they gave them heroin to treat the heroin addicts they gave them cocaine talked all about that stuff but we really centered around at the end we got into the prohibition and the prohibition was a big thing because it brought it all together, but it kind of brought exactly where where we want to be at now. But the one thing we talked about was the early, early treatment um, of alcoholism. We talk about Benjamin Rush, had the idea um, that some people have said before that alcoholism was a disease, but his solution was just abstinence. And he had a, he had an idea of a recovery plan, was a, some type of moral recovery, but... He didn't have a plan to do it. So he had no recovery plan. Temperance movement, solution, moderation, no recovery plan. The African society, solution, absence, no recovery plan. The Washingtonians, remember those guys, Abs- the absence was their solution and fellowship, no recovery plan. Big lesson learned there. The neighbor islands, we talked about, solution, incarceration, recovery plan, none. See the pattern here? No recovery plans. Um, The Emmanuel movement, which we'll talk a little bit more about tonight. Solution, you know, was spiritual recovery. Or spiritual, not recovery, but recovery plan was none. And then we talked about two important people. We talked about Richard Peabody. He wrote this really important book called Common Sense of Drinking. And he had all these, you know, very influenced on the first, I would say, I mean, the writing of the big book, but really the content, maybe the first, 43 pages in that he didn't really believe in the disease concepts and stuff, but he used words like hot measures and nothing and real alcoholic and hard drinker and stuff like that. But he brought the word alcoholic and alcoholism to out of the medical field into, you know, for everyday language. But the other guy we're going to mention again tonight is Courtney Baylor. And he was from Emmanuel and he believed in spiritual discovery and what he used to get to that social of curve is moral inventory. Is very important in the history. You um, he, he notice all those groups have, you know, I point out, no recovery plan. None. And while those groups played a big part in history of alcoholism, there was one that plays into the history of alcoholics As a matter of fact, they are the most important group. And... They're not even a recovery group, but they did have a recovery plan. (laughs) So I'm going to tell that story right now. We're probably not getting the book too much, but I really can tell some history. So in 1908, this guy named named Frank Bookman, and Bookman was a a Lutheran minister in Philadelphia. And he was known as kind of a high, you know, high roller, high string guy. Um, But he owned this hostess for the mentally ill. And his, he's, look at his job as rewarding, but very exhausting and stressful because he created that environment and he wound up, you know, really bumping heads and having huge conflicts with his board of directors and it was over funding sources. Sounds like something they still do today, but he was forced, you could say fired from his, from the business he founded. I think he would be a little resentful for that. So bookman on the advice of his doctor because he was feeling very angry bitter exhausted and depressed over this firing um he took it the doctor's advice and attended the Keswick convention and, and that's still t- that's something that still ha- happens today it's the an annual gathering of evangelistical christian um in Keswick, england that's attended by lay people and church leaders um but he was super excited Because his favorite writer at the time, F.B. Mayer, is going to speak. And he gets there, and the church is empty. It's like barely full. And he's like, what? Turned out he's on the wrong day. So he's sitting in this half-empty chapel, listening to, who is a very good writer as well, Jesse Penn-Lewis, preaching on restitution for resentment. So restitution is a very old-school term means restoring something's original state. It's very, um, it goes back to Catholicism and everything, but it's a spiritual term. Really what it means is to make right or wrong to others. Originally, the reason, so it also means the same thing as amends. And when Bill wrote the steps, and when he put the steps together and used the word amends, was he thought restitution was too strong of a word because it, it also meant trying to restore the relationship. So, but anyways, Bookman... Um, I'm going to read his own words. This is, this is what he said. So he's listening to this woman speak. He said, I thought of the six men from the board who wronged me. I then saw at that moment, I was a seventh wrong man. I began to see myself as God saw me, which was very di- a very different picture than the one I had of myself. I can only tell you that I sat there and realized how my wrongs my pride my selfishness my ill will had eclipsed me from god i saw my resentments against those standing like tombstones in my heart i asked god to change me he told me to put things right with with those men i wrote six letters of restitution to the board members it produced in me a vibrant feeling as though a strong current of life suddenly have been poured into me. And afterward, a day's sense of spiritual shakeup and discovery, I immediately started taking others through the process of confession and restitution. Sounds like Bookman had a spiritual experience in that that church with those thoughts, the way that rolled out. And that spiritual experience is a sudden, overpowering shift in the God consciousness. And it's usually a result of an experience, a direct contact with God. And it's like Big Book calls it a you know, vast change in feeling and outlook. And it's a very parallel to a right there. Cause Bill Wilson has spiritual experience in a hospital and Boomy had an idea of a new movement. Bookman has a spiritual experience in this chapel has an idea of a new movement. Very interesting. Um, and cause look what he said there. Like Bill says, I thought of these people, blah, blah, blah. And Bookman says, I immediately started taking, you know, taking others through immediately boom, he had this idea. So Bookman for years referred to this restitution as his foundation. So within a few months of that experience, Bookman created one of the backbones of of his future movement and the, the four absolutes of spiritual growth. And he began taking others through these four absolutes. He was fine-tuning them a little bit as he was doing it. That's why he said years later, that's why he got good at it, by taking people through it at the very beginning. But an absolute is something that can never change or be diminished anyway. Um, it's I guess you could say it's free from imperfection, pure, complete, and most of all, whole. So like wholeness, I think of. So let's take a look at the, these absolutes. I'm going to share the screen with you all right so the first one is absolute honesty now honesty the best definition i ever heard is awareness of where i'm at do i have resentment do i have fear how i feel being honest with yourself absolute honesty absolute purity and that's you know to be free of wrong and moral behavior absolute selflessness, selfishness and that's concerned with others more than your own needs and an absolute love and we know about that i mean it's a powerful emotion of you know affection kindness compassion you know personal attachment with concern for the main focus is the concern for the good of another in 1918 um bookman finds himself in the great wall of china and he meets a man there who was studying chinese philosophy and meditation Doing, He basically was doing soul-searching. That man he met at the Great Wall was Samuel Shoemaker. And it was a very uh, synchronicity moment. Because they're sitting there talking, and they're like, so what brought you here? I don't know. What brought you here? And they realized, they said, I think we're here to meet each other. And, you know, Bookman explained that Shoemaker, he explained Shoemaker, these absolutes. And Shoemaker later said, you know, meeting Bookman, learning these absolutes made it... Influenced his decision to become an Episcopal priest. In 1921, Bookman and the now father Samuel Shoemaker founded First Century Christian Fellowship. Basically, what they're doing is they're studying the ways of Christians in the first century. The behavior. And Shoemaker was the brains of the outfit. He wrote all the tenets and concepts and all the other spiritual principles. And he was a huge influence. On, I forgot to close the screen down. He was a, you know, he was a huge influence on that, you know, and, and, you know, he was such a huge influence on Alcoholics Anonymous that Bill Wilson considered Shoemaker a co-founder. And when Bill expanded, was you know, thinking about expanding his six steps into which would be 12, you know, how how many um, he asked Shoemaker to do it first and Shoemaker refused telling Bill, you were put here to do that. There will mean more coming from you. And, you know, uh, Frank Bookman, he designed a strategy of holding what are called house parties <laughs> That's funny, at various locations. And by 1928, they outgrew those house parties and they started to use the library at Oxford church in Oxford, England, changing their name to the Oxford group. And this is from what is the Oxford group. I'm going to read this out of that book. So the central idea of the Oxford group was that the, the problems of the world could be healed through through a movement, a personal dynamic, spiritual change. This change came through a set of core ideas and practice for daily living, believing the root of the problems were selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear members were taught how to seek guidance from within, rather than creed or biblical doctrine. Believing experience with God. I'm sorry, creed or the Bible. Believing in experience with God rather than biblical doctrine. They believed that the that there was a bridge of powerlessness that needed to be crossed in order to receive power. Sounds familiar. So, their focus was on God-centered rather than self That was their main thing. What, you know, God-centered rather than self-centered. You know, um, they believed in the aspect of it's not God coming to get you, coming to save you and help you and all this stuff like that. It's, and then you live in your life, it's you following God's plan. You following the way of God. So um, they had no dues, no paid leaders. There was a membership, but it was no paid membership. It's, uh, that was simply to know who was coming. But it's, um, it was simply a fellowship of people who desired a new way of life. And the Oxford group was not a program of recovery from alcoholism. They did not require total abs- absence for alcohol. Many of the churches in those days, believe it or not, would require you ha- to be absent from alcohol to attend, to be become a full member of a church, pretty much. That's it was a that's the way it was in those days. And we're talking, you know, 1925 here. But, and this is a prohibition going on. But, you know, many death alcoholics were drawn to the Oxford group because they saw their friends going there and changing a lot of the wives there's, there's a lot of women in the Oxford groups which brought husbands in but they actually had a side group called the drunk squad um it, it got small it was small um there's a little bit of controversy around it because of the aspect was some of the Oxford group members started seeing these drunks come in there and they were like well you know you know They didn't want these drunk. They didn't want turn into a drunk movement. So, rumor has it that a couple of members said, "Hey, why don't you guys, you know, keep low? But if you want to talk, go to your own group." And they did that. And a little bit of controversy would, you know, play in the AA history pretty good. But the Oxford actually they had hundreds of different tenets and principles. I'm only going to go over the most important ones that are relevant to AA. But the members viewed. Sin is anything that stood between you and God. It's quite different than the way people look at it today. Calling sin a disease with the belief that a spiritual conversion, like spiritual awakening, was absolutely necessary to overcome it. So I'm going to share the screen again for a while because there's a, quite a bit of things I'm going to show. And I will post these on our WhatsApp group, anything you see up here tonight. So they 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 had five basic concepts of sin sin was the problem sin as anything that blocked you from God to do God's will you had to cut out sin um sin um was a blockage not only from God but fellow man and, sur- and then surrender and action was the key to overcoming sin and then they had the, the the six concepts of the Oxford group men are sinners men are men can be changed confession is a precursor to change because confession is a big thing here and it's not like the confession that you know maybe it's are familiar to church it was i'll explain that in a bit it's quite different um the changed soul has direct access to god so basically the awakening spirit has direct access to god is what they believe the age of miracles is returned and those who've been changed must change others from there, they have the five C's, and you had uh, confidence. It says have confidence another can keep your secrets. Basically, um, confession. It's the honest admission of wrongs, um, you know, harms, actions, wrong thinking, wrong beliefs, guilt, and sins. So, so, all the little aspect you'll see in a minute is their confession aspect was quite different because they had they they focus. They you weren't going to them and say, "I did this to this person. I did that to this person." you were actually categorizing a little bit. And we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, conviction. it's just a realization. The awareness, I'll say, the awareness or the consciousness that our wrongs shut us off from God. You, you know, you start to see it. And then conversion is the awakening of spiritual knowledge. You know, the understanding what previously not been known. And that leads to the change of attitudes, ideas, and thoughts, and lifestyle, personality change. Same thing as awakening, same thing as experience. And continuance to repeat a a core set of action Um, that played a big part in a later on with when they expanded as well steps with step 10. Um, And then you had the five aspects of confession. Confession must be, must be made. I'm sorry. Confession must be made to begin and to start a new life. Confession is a, a transaction that must be taken between the soul, God and another. Confession must be made honestly and humbly. Confession must be absolutely honest. Confession must be made to melt away pride. Sounds familiar. So then we have the five procedures. So a new person was taken through these procedures, and I'll probably call them principles more um, by an experienced member. That was called spiritual training or as Shoemaker called it, soul surgery. Maybe you've heard that before. A lot of A members will call four through seven soul surgery, right? Same aspect. The the, the action um, of the experienced person taking a person through these principles, believe it or not, was called sponsorship. Um, and the experienced members were called it. Not necessarily that that word made A members go, oh, let's take it to AA. It just kind of fell into it. But there's other places it came from, too. Um, but the term sponsee, of course, would never use. It's not even in the dictionary. So <laughs> um, It was basically an interview they would, they, where they would tie together the principles as you did. And they did it within a three-hour period, pretty much. And these principles are what the steps were derivative from. So let's take a look at these. Um, the process begins with surrender. Surrender our past, present, future into God's keeping and direction. Kind of sounds like step three. And Shoemaker said we must surrender our will to a greater will, and that will set us free. So, self surrender is a turning point of the spiritual life. So, after they surrendered, they were asked to examine self. And they, so, there's, there, there's in between these procedures, there's little things thrown in. So they were asked to examine self and they were, they were asked to review their life and be absolutely honest. Look at those they are angry at. Why, you know, um, fear. The one that really pushed the most is what do you feel guilty about? That was, that was the easiest way to get stuff out of people. Shoemaker suggested to write it down on paper. No, it was not moral inventory. It didn't have columns and all that stuff. It was simply just a list. But Shoemakers firmly believed that it was important to put it on paper. Um, So the second principle was the sharing of our sins and temptations with another given to God. You know, that sounds like step five. Does it not? Um, That's where the confession comes in that we just mentioned. And Shoemaker believed we always needed a human... Here, a human person to validate our confession, and the new person had to have confidence, because I mentioned a minute ago, that the person would keep your secrets, and that led to the conviction I mentioned—that said that realization, the deep awareness that our sins have shut us off from God, and you know we need to be free of this. So that awareness of con- conviction, you know, conviction and all that, and the awareness of that of our wrongs brought upon the conversion, so the conversion happened between the second and third- pre, you know principle. The, you know the awakening that's you know the conversion that's just, again it's awakening and a knowledge, transformation of morals attitudes, ideas, actions, personality change and with effort you know that's the way they looked at it. same as awakening experience. Restitution to all those whom we have wronged directly and indirectly. Basically righting our wrongs, amends. Sounds like step nine. Now, Shoemaker, this is a quote from Shoemaker that I love because it's so awesome. Our relationship with God cannot be right unless our relations with others are right as well. For it is pointless to keep in touch with God so long as there are human relations which must be right at the same time. Boom, you know. I think it says in the good book, you know, you say you love God, I hate your fellow man, I call you a liar. You know, so he's saying similar right there. Very important. So they push continuance of confession restitution there, maybe before the fourth um, precept, or you know, and the conf- so they would have you know they push continuance confession restitution. And also the absolutes. And then the next one, which you're doing at the same time as those, was listening to God's guidance and carrying it out. Sounds like step 11. Quiet time was the heart of these guys. This, is, this was their heart, the practice. It was not only that it was an essential requirement, but they believed morning and evening quiet time to be absolutely necessary for daily growth. It was a must. And they had four elements to that um that built up to it it was the studying of of you know they was they would study a book and that before that quiet have started then they would pray and they would um listen for God's voice or just listen shut their mind off meditation and the last thing they did was journalizing thoughts so they had that and they were very specifically didn't you know remember shoemaker learned meditation in China a matter of fact that made emphasis to the groups wasn't church or their group gatherings, it was meditation. And they need and which is rare in those days for the church, you know, even rare in church nowadays to bring up, but they needed to experience all the previous principles to have the ability to successfully meditate. Think about that. All these ones I mentioned so far, the surrender, the sharing the restitutions to build up to that. But the last one was to keep the conversion experience real by carrying the Oscar message of salvation other oh, sounds, sons, you know, Acts 12, giving it away. Check this out, though. It was required to do this if you wanted membership. It was called the pulpit. To be able to carry God's message. You know, Frank Bookman believed the best way to keep an experience with God was to pass it on. And he was adamant on that. And Shoemaker ref- Shoemaker's an interesting guy. I mean, he refused to claim to have invented these principles that that found their way into AA, so to speak, saying they're all just common property of mankind. That's all he ever said. Years later, when he became kind of a wonder person of AA, that's all he ever said. I'm going to turn off the sharing thing here. And... So, from then we go to an interesting aspect here. You know, the official start date of A, we know is June 10, 1935. Um, but the start of A can also be traced back to a meeting that took place in 1931 in Zurich, Switzerland between Roland Hazard, a certain American businessman, and the world famous psychiatrist Carl Jung. Now, I want to tell you this is when we get to this point in the book on page 27, I'm going to go way deeper into this and a lot more details and a lot more about Carl Jung, but I'm I'm just pacing together history right now. So a little about Roland. We know he's a hopeless drunk. He came from a very prominent Rhode family. They owned LA Chemical and several others. Like I said, I'm going to go through all that later. But, you know, so so he had limited money. He spent lots of money trying to overcome alcohols and went to the best American psychiatrist. And kind of funny because he also avoided some of the ones that had a reputation of being very good. (laughs) When... None of those worked. He, he went to uh, Europe and he had a cousin that sent him there. Um, he wanted Freud, but Freud was ill. Adler didn't like work with alcoholics, so he went to Jung. Now, Jung is very interesting, He's one of my favorite um, people of all time. But Jung was considered the, possibly the finest psychiatrist in the world because of the deaths he had. Yes, he was a psychiatrist, but with a spiritual approach, which is very rare. So he studied all religions, especially Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism. He was big into studying Taoism. And he believed in a journey of spiritual transformation, that a a spiritual experience was absolutely necessary um, for the well-being of growth and change. And they say Jung was to psychiatry but Einstein was a science, that he was that good. Now, Freud and Adler did not believe in spiritual approach. They thought that spiritual experience was a result of a deranged, insane mind. They would have told Rowan, uh, you know, go find your inner child. You know, we may not be sitting here. But Rowan said, we know, we know the story a little bit. Rowan said he was young for one year. And after, you know, everything he learned, he thought, oh, I'm not going to relapse. He never got past Paris and he went back and, Asked him why he couldn't recover. He are like, why can't I recover? So I'm going to read from page 27 of the big book. Give okay, you guys have a minute to get there. All right. So, where it says the doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. That means reoccurring, persistent, ongoing. You have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover where that state of mind extends, it, I'm sorry, exists to the extent it does in you. He's saying, I've never seen one person recover as a real alcoholic. Our friend felt the gates of hell close them with a claim. He said, "Doctors, are no exception. He's like, well, what am I supposed to do type thing? Yes, replied the doctor. There is exceptions. Such cases have years of occurrence occurring since early times, like way back. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have what are called vital spiritual experiences. Why did Jung believe in spiritual experiences? He had one as a child. There is no way anyone, anyone in here is going to tell anyone that he has a spiritual experience unless they've had one themselves. So it's not strange that he would prescribe a spiritual experience. And he goes on to say, these occurrences are phenomena. Now look at the way Jung describes the psychic change. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements or re- rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which for once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast on one side and a completely new set of concessions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, they've been trying to produce such emotional arrangement within you. With most individuals, the methods I, which I employ are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. So he tried to produce an emotional arrangement described above, and he was successful unless you're a real alcoholic. Upon hearing this, our friend was so relieved for for reflected. After all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor telling him that this while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, did not spill the vital, necessary spiritual experience. Church isn't enough. It needs some change, inner journey change. So think about Roland spends one year with this guy who tries to produce some re-arrang- emotional rearrangement within him, but is not successful with alcoholics. He tells him his only chance is a spiritual experience and that being good church members, like I said, is not enough. And somewhere in there, you most likely told them you need to join some type of spiritual movement, religious movement, as they called them back then. And it's funny, these religious movements were ones, it wasn't church. It was going to a place of sabbatical to change inside and looking inside yourself. And churches didn't really like that. I mean, Emmett Fox wasn't necessarily liked by by the, the churches and stuff of those days. Those guys like that, the metaphysics people. Um, and, but he wanted to listen a little bit that would lead to such conversion we talked about earlier. So Jung, solution, spiritual experience, recovery, plan, none. Now, remember the, you know, I, I may have forgotten to mention with the Oxford group, we mentioned who we just looked at, you know, so their, um, their program solution was God. There were every problem was five, five steps. I wanted to bring that up. I think may have bypassed that. So what happened next with Roland laid the groundwork for Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot of people will just think he jumped to the Oxford, but that's not true. Um, he returned to the U.S. and sought the help of Courtney Baylor from the Emanuel movement. So like Jung, the methods he used were psychological and spiritual. His therapeutic style involves spiritual discovery. And so, Baylor did not use the word recovery. I don't know if anyone did yet. But he used the word reconstruction, which is a very powerful word. And he knew that a person had to rethink and remake themselves to escape this disease of alcoholism. So he used confession and self-disclosure. The tool he used was moral inventory. So this is very important here. Everything he did all that other stuff he did, the confession, all that, built up to that. He was successful with many drunks using this moral inventory. Now, I have no idea to prove that the moral inventory you know, he used is the same you know, as we know in this book. My personal theory is because Baylor had this young approach and was super, super intelligent person. that moral inventory was most likely very similar to what Bill presents in this book. I've asked historians that, and I always throw them for a loop asking that question. But that's, the truth is, he did have a moral inventory. But Rowan and Rowan would use that moral inventory with Baylor and pass it on to Ebbie, right? Some and because Rowan was known, Rowan never joined AA. He stayed in the Oxford Group. The reason he never joined AA wasn't because he didn't like AA. He felt that he didn't want to leave the people behind in the Oxford Group that were the drunks that didn't want to join AA. But Roland had a, um, a different approach and was known, uh, kind of frowned on the Oxford group by using different, twisting the principles a little bit. So that's probably what, you know, the moral inventory came in. So, you know, and there's something white and white there. Um, th- that's why, you know, Baylor had three phases to his therapy that lasted a long time Lasted like a year sometimes over a year but during the second phase which is about four maybe four months in after he did the moral inventory he would strongly suggest his clients to join a religious movement and it's believed that Rowan was suggested the Oxford group by Baylor who Baylor was very familiar with and I've read in two, one book that they didn't mention the moral inventory, but they mentioned Baylor, me to the Oxford group and other group mentioned the moral inventory. And I've looked it up quite a bit. So Rowan was finally able to get sober and stay sober. So it shows that there was a drink link between the manual movement of Boston, Boston, and Alcoholics Anonymous, not just the Oxford group. Courtney Baylor solution, spiritual discovery, recovery plan, moral inventory. Now we're getting somewhere. So Rowan joined the Oxford Group, and there he helped start this little group called the Drug Squad. Some of those members would be future members of Alcoholics Anonymous. In August of 1934, Rowan would go, and go to court with A members, I mean, with A members, it was Oxford, Oxford Group members, not quite A yet, Oxford Group members, Shep, Cornell, and Seba Graves. Seba's father was the presiding judge, very proud of his son. Um uh, an old friend of Rowland's was in court, threatening to be institutionalized for multiple charges of drunkenness. Sieber's father saw what the Oxford group had done for his son, so he put the man in Rowland's care, which would, that man was EB Thatcher. Now Ebbie Thatcher, it, was, it wasn't crazy that that would happen in those days. It happened a lot. And as AA got a proven recovery thing, it happened even more. Guys would be want to be institutionalized. They would show up, you know, explain what they want to do for him and put him in his care. They then they except doing it in the, in the late late forties. But but Rowan took Ebby to the mountains and took him to the Oxford principles. I'll get more into this when we cover it. uh What happened? But Ebby had an awakening, and we get the Bill's story. <laughs> what the hell was that? Um. Oxford Group, so the Oxford Group had a very unique way of um, passing it on, so to speak. So uh, hypothetically, I'm not saying this exactly like this, but let's say Roland took Ebby through, through those principles. And what he would do is say, now you need to take another through it. And he would ask him to name someone. So if I'm if i an Oxford Group member and I'm taking um, a Glenn through, this, through the Oxford Group principles, I say, now I gotta help someone, give me a name. Well, the person that Ebby named changed alcoholism forever. Ebby thought of it as the most assaulted, the destructive drunk he knew ever knew, his longtime friend, Bill Wilson. And that was on November 1934. Over the next month, Ebby would introduce Bill to the Oxford Group Principles. And on December 13, 1934, Bill in Towns Hospital would have a spiritual experience. And that would change his life forever and our lives forever. And when he laid in that hospital bed, like Bookman did in the church, there, you know, he was thinking you know, many people could, could, could benefit from this. And he thought he could start a society of alcoholics. But even beyond that, maybe a lot of people could, could get help, helping each new member. And he called it chain style. So Bill attended the Oxford Group and was part of the drunk squad. And he attempted to take six drunks to the principles. And that would be the surrender to God, confession, amends, prayer and meditation, carrying a message, but failed. You know, feeling dejected, he went to Lois and basically said, I, I don't know what to do. I can't keep anyone sober. And she said, you're silver. Go talk to Silkworth. Now, this is the first time he mentioned Silky, but... We'll get more into him when we cover it, but he's the medical doctor in Towns where Bill had the spiritual experience at. But even more important than that, when Bill went to Towns the first time, Silkworth told him, you're seriously ill, the mind and the body, the allergy, the obsession. It suggested abstinence. The Silkworth solution was abstinence, recovery plan none, like the other guys. So Bill was six months sober, went back and, taught and told Silkworth that he is failing with helping alcoholics. So he asked Bill, what's the first thing he tell these drunks? Bill says, I'm telling them to surrender their lives to God. Silkworth, you know, basically says that's the problem. Right there. You're hitting, them with the, you're hitting hopeless drunks with God right away. They need, to, they need to know why they drink and what makes them alcoholic. You need to give them the hardcore medical facts. So Silkworth just gave Bill the ammunition he needed. Bring the alcoholic, the alcoholic, the medical hopelessness of alcoholism. powerlessness over over alcohol because of allergy obsession. Bill had his ammo. So Bill took the five, basically, unknowingly pretty much, took the five principles of the Oxford group and stacked Powerless Over Alcohol on top of it. Boom. So basically, Powerless Over Alcohol, self-inventory, confession, amends, prayer meditation, carrying the message. That's what he had. Let's see the first person he brings the message to is. And this is where it gets real interesting. So on May 12th, 1935, Bill's on a, you know, had a really bad business trip to Akron, Ohio. And one night he's at the Mayflower Hotel, you know, he hears, you know, the crowd in the bar and the excitement going on, you know, Here's the dice going, the drinks going, and suddenly he's in fear you might want to go in there. Then he starts thinking about drinking. You know, he's away from home, away from the struggling alcoholics, away from Calvary Missions, where the drunk squad is. Towns Hospital, away from his wife. So now he's pacing up and down this hotel. This is what it looked like inside. I'm going to show a picture of it. I like this stuff, so. So that's the Mayflower Hotel. which still looks like today. Very important part of his history, and you know he realized that his only way out is to carry a message to another drunk. So Bill heads to a public phone booth, that very one right there, which it kept intact for us to see if you're you know want to go check it out. And we sought another alcoholic, someone like himself to talk to. He knew he must talk to the drunk. So. He looked at the church registry, which you see on that picture. And he picked a guy named Reverend Tunks because his name sounded weird. That's all reason. They asked Bill in an interview, why did you pick Tonks then? Because his name sounded weird. Unusual. As, so it turns out Tonks is a member of the auction group of Akron. And he steers Bill towards an Oxford Group member named Norman Shepard. He directs Bill to Oxford member Henrietta Sieberling. Sieberlin, sorry. And her group had failed to help a local surgeon to stay sober, who was attending the Oxford group, prominent men of group. That sur- surgeon was Robert Holbrook Smith. I'm gonna close this one up. Robert Holbrook Smith. So ha- Henrietta was, she was hell-bent. I mean, really, Bill could see it in her eyes, and that motivated him to, her, you know, to help her friend. So she arranged a meeting between Bill and Bob at her house, and Bill, Bob only agreed to, met, to, to meet Bill on the promise he, he made to Anne, his wife. And Bob also was was determined to keep the conversation five minutes. The talk lasted five hours. Bill hit him with Silkworth's description of the of the alcoholic obsession. If you want to read it in a big book, you know, do an go to page eight one eighty. You can hear what he says, but you know. He basically says that, he's a, that Bill was the first living person he ever talked to. And think of all the persons he heard about alcoholism. He was a doctor. Also, if he read about. He says Bill's the first living person who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. Remember all those laws that are written, we talked about last week? Written for, by alcoholics, by non-alcoholics? Something a little different's happening here. Think about how many doctors this guy had talked to, you know? And he hits another drunk who shows him, explains him why he's a drunk. So Bill moves in with Bob for about, you know, several weeks. They try to take a guy named Dr. Mick To you know, Bob is sober at this time, loosely sober, but he's taken to the principals. They go to some Oxford groups they try to, like I said, sober people up. And on June 2nd, Bob had to go to the American Medical Association Convention, so he hops on a train. We know what happened on trains back then. And Bill told them, and, and Bill and Ann told him not to go because drinking was big on those trains. And once on the train, Bob drank all the way to Atlantic City, and the whole week was in a blackout. And he came home drunk. That was June 7th. And he detoxed three days. And Bob was scheduled to perform surgery. He's a proctologist, so you can't have shaky hands doing surgery. Um, but, you know, in order to ensure steadiness of hand, Bill gave him a bottle of beer and a shot. That was Dr. Bao's last drink, and it's looked at as the founding date of Alcoholics Anonymous, June 10, 35. Now, here's the thing so he does his surgery. Dr. Bob. This is, this is an important lesson here. He does this surgery. And he would usually return home around 8 p.m. You know, he would let Ann know, call her from the hospital, whatever. 8 p.m. rolls around, no Bob, never heard from him. 9 p.m., no Bob. 10, no Bob. 11 o'clock, no Bob. Bill and Ann are like, oh, he's drunk. Well, you know, I was worried about him tomorrow. After midnight, Bob walks in. What was he doing? You see, Bob, the reason why Henrietta and them couldn't stop his drinking, he was a secret drinker. You know, and stuff that might and probably got another stuff that doctors do. And one of the one of the uh principles of the Oxford was restitution. You know, amends. His biggest fear was if he made amends to those people in the Oxford group, it would get out that he was a drinker and he'd lose his practice. So his refusal to make amends was why he could never stay sober. But that night, he put all his reputation on the line, everything in jeopardy, and made amends. You know, he made amends to his medical staff, other work associates, everyone in the hospital he could think of. He went to his patients because he did house calls. You know, he went to friends' houses, family's houses. But the biggest amends he made that night was to the Oxford Group. So back then. They had, you know, remember I mentioned the pulpit. Well, there's actually, was a pulpit. Once you took a certain amount of people through the principles, you were allowed to get up and talk from the pulpit. Before that, you were not allowed up on stage. Bob walks right in, goes up stage, and goes right in the pulpit from speaking from the podium. And he makes his amends to the group. And, you know, he's basically up there talking, like, let him talk. And he did, and he was, you know, got huge, um, pats on the back from it back to these amends he never drink again a was born um we became the most successful recovery group of alcoholism ever changed the way alcoholism is done changed the way treatment is done changed the way everything 89 years later we're stronger than ever um i'm going to do a, a quick review just to put everything in the perspective of what we covered so far tonight and so here is one last look at you know first let's look at the different groups you know you had Benjamin Rush from I mentioned him earlier Solution Absence Recovery Plan None temperance Movement you know basically you can see all different things Recovery Plan None Recovery Plan None and then Washingtonians into the Fellowship Recovery Plan Fellowship and Absence um Oops. Um, Emmanuel movement New incarceration recovery plan none Emmanuel movement s- spiritual recovery plan none Oxford group now here now her things start to evolve Solution God recovery plan five-step program Dr. Carl Jung Solution Spiritual Experience recovery plan none Courtney Baylor's sp- spiritual discovery is a solution recovery plan moral inventory They started to get recovery plans in there. And all those people, those those groups were attended by people. self solution, abstinence, recovery plan, none. Alcoholics, anonymous solution, spiritual experience, recovery plan, 12 steps. Thank God. If you look at on there, both Jung and AA had the same solution, right? But Jung could not, didn't have a recovery plan that worked for alcoholics. He tried emotional rearrangements and he failed. With step four and five, Bill discovered a way to tap into the inner workings of the driving forces of the mind to produce the emotional rearrangement that Jung couldn't do. Bill was successful with alcoholics where Jung wasn't. That's very important to look at there. Not a knock on Jung at all. So let's look at the events starting a... I'm going to have... the. Do some rearrangements here. So, the most important ones is Carl Jung spirit tells Roland spiritual experience. Roland goes to seek that out. Remember, he went to Baylor. Then he goes to the Oxford Group Five Principles. Then Roland takes it to Evie. Evie brings it to Bill. Silkware Places, partner with the Allergy Obsession, Six Step Program is born. Dr. Bob, Alcoholics Anonymous, Big Book 12 Steps. Simple as that. You know, it's not, uh, I always was fascinated when my grand uh, sponsor would explain these things like this, and it always made sense. You know, it's um, it's very important to understand where this stuff came from and how it worked. That's, you know, and I think it's important. One thing I've learned that's vitally important from there's a difference between a person telling history that knows the steps through experience and one who doesn't. I've talked to many historians and they can't get into the inner workings of the steps because they don't understand the steps but i talked to historians that know the steps and you really get to understand that way um next week we will discuss i don't know what order it's going to be in but we're gonna one thing i've done in the past that's gotten big props is um and we're gonna look at what books are the first so you get the flying vine period for the big book what books were they reading i'm gonna go over about 20 different books that they read. And then we'll look at how the big book came about, how it was written and all the tricks they did.
2: Recording stopped.
1: So if there's any one has a question or well, it right on time. <laughs> I was thinking I had so much stuff to cover. And I was like, there's no way. But oh, June.
2: Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. June alcoholic. Hey, did um, Roland Hazard stay sober the rest of his life? Do you know.
1: Yes, he did, and he, he died. Night. Uh, what was it? Nineteen forty something. Like I think he died in the job of a heart attack. He was working at one of his companies. Yeah, and he. And matter of fact, the companies he owned that for so long. His so when I when I cover it, I'll get more into it, but basically. You know, his father was like, you know, the head Kennedy, almost like, you know, of that family. He made sure everyone did what they're supposed to do. And, you know, they all went to, you know, proper etiquette training as far as how to, you know, hold their silverware and stuff. And the family, he was bypassed over his brothers who had less experience he had for all the businesses. And then he gets sober and he winds up taking over all the businesses. Because they trusted them became like CEO of the whole and made ally chemical into the billion dollar corporation isn't sold it. You know, the main money they made was civil war blankets. They made during the uh, I mean Civil War. I mean <laughs> World War World War blankets, World War uh one blankets, not civil war. <laughs> That'd be way back. Awesome.
2: Thanks, Steve.
1: Uh, Doug. Thanks, Steve, it was awesome. Um, what was the connection again between uh, Buckman? How did Buckman meet, um, meet um, uh, uh, Shoemaker? So it was just like on the Great Wall of China. They were, you know, I mean, that's, it sounds urban legendist, but that's the story that I've been told is that they were basically Buckman was walking around the Great Wall of China and and a lot of people would take the tours like they do now. And um, and he sees this guy and he starts talking and like, what brought you here? What brought you here up to today, this moment? And they both agreed that I guess we're here to meet each other. And they joked and then they went a deep spiritual conversation. And, you know, Shoemaker was thinking about getting into the priesthood at the time, but wasn't sure. But he was really into buddhism as far as like studying meditation he went to china to study that and meditation he also um he also uh you know the like i said the four absolutes were presented to him it's what spearheaded it so he so i don't know too much i wish i could know, know more about what it was like, Bookman working with Shoemaker, because whatever he did, spearheaded him to be, you know make the full jump to Episcopal priest. Some people said the only reason that he did get ordained to become a priest was because they needed that that position in the Oxford Group because of you know reasons because they believed that you know the Oxford Group in those days, just like today, um, a we have our traditions and and stuff of confidentiality and all that stuff like that, whatever you want to call it. But like when I go into the prison ministries and stuff like that you have a priest in there we have to have ordained people if the guy starts talking about some crime he, he committed then we got to go send them over to the priest because you know they we can't you know they can't can't subpoena us and they can't subpoena a And that's one reason why they brought shoemaker and originally the oxford group or the idea they didn't even know what it was going to be yet but shoemaker was a genius and he wrote all those principles uh who's next? oh my old friend grant glenn what's up glenn
3: what's well, on. uh uh, have you watched that uh, that latest uh, documentary on Bill Wilson? It's on, uh, I think it's on Amazon now.
1: I have seen it a long a while
3: back. A while yeah, back. I remember when it first came out. When I was out there in the Bay Area, and it was showing it, but I, I finally watched it. And I want to share something that I mean, I took notes. Bill Wilson was talking. It must have been a tape recording that he did, and he shared. Uh, this is what he shared uh, when he was in the hospital. When Abby Thatcher came in the hospital, says Bill asked Abby, "What's that neat little formula?" And uh, so I'm thinking he, he might, Abby might have told him that formula when he was at the first meeting his, in his kitchen. It says, uh, and this is what he, he said: "This is this is his voice. You got you get honest with yourself. You get honest with another person about yourself. Internal house cleaning." Clean away the the debris of the past, help others with no demand for reward and prestige or money. Pray to God as you understand him for guidance to do direct to direct your life and expel this obsession as simple as that, nothing more nothing less Those wow. exact words I just want to share that it was i I took notes. <laughs> it was, hey, it was lot of good stuff in that there's a, there's a lot
1: of good stuff in that.
3: Yeah, it is. There's, there's that. Uh, um, so I'm thinking that because uh, they don't share it in, a, in a big book with the whole conversation they had in that kitchen between Abby and, and uh, when Abby, when when Bill was still drunk, of course, and uh, or wanting to get drunk. But uh, I'm thinking that he, Abby, when went in there um, before or after, he told Bill that he had religion. He probably told him about that neat little formula he found out that helped him uh, recover. And then when that, when finally when Bill was in the hospital the last time, he was he was uh he was like uh, pretty tore up the floor up. He asked and Abby, Abby came and talked to him, and that's what he shared that with Eddie. That's that's what
1: Eddie shared with Bill when he's in the hospital. That's awesome. That's awesome. You, you know, one of the things that's interesting, we I mean, and we'll talk about it. There was a difference, slight like difference between Akron and New York as far as you know, AA goes. but there's definitely a difference between Akron oxford group and new york oxford group and the new york oxford group was a little more looser and a little bit more at the same time protective of their members and they went you know they're strict where the oxford group and akron was more um they kind of tested you and but one thing they did was new york was a lot more people think akron would be more religious it was the opposite new york was more you Know they want to keep it pure to, to the you know to you know um to Christianity, where um Akron you know they preferred you, know, Oxford group member, you know, Christian, but they didn't care, they just wanted to find your way. And Bill learned a lot, he learned when he was with Bob going to Oxford group meetings in Akron is when he really started to understand the Oxford group principles and what had happened to him. It gave him enough time and especially taking someone into it successfully big, you know, we'll talk about the first 100 and some of those first people and why Akron, had 11 in a row success rates at, at, at one point. and New York was struggling. You know, it's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff. It's a lot of interesting, especially when we get next week in the way big books written. I want to say something about Glenn. And so last week we were talking about when I was talking about myself, how I used to go to big book studies all around my town. Um, my grand sponsor was Don Brown, and I believe Don was his sponsor. So I used to bump into Glenn everywhere I went. So we go way back. You know, he was one of the guys we used to go shoulder to shoulder with these book studies. Him and Frank and as guys. well around yeah. here, and Terry, and Terry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome people. Yeah. Uh, anyone else has a question or anything or a statement? Well, oh, kicking. Go right ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm kicking an alcoholic,
2: Sweden. Uh, I just want to thank you. It's so nice to be together with you all. So, thank you.
1: You know, I wanted to share something. Oops, where did everybody go? I just missed I want to share something with you guys really quick. So... If you haven't been to our other book studies, Mondays is absolutely amazing with Paige, and so is Tuesdays, and Wednesdays is really good, too. Um, For the first time, so our Friday group is usually not random people, but we do all steps in order, but we bring in whoever we can get. This month, it's all big book compendium people. So tomorrow for our meeting, James O's sharing step one, and he's one of the guys, uh, I took those steps, but... He's phenomenal with the steps and it's a great program. And then Nadia is speaking on the 19th. And Nadia is the one that's gonna start on the first week of February at 9 a.m. Pacific. She's in South Africa. She's gonna be doing a book study for us, a new one. And then Summer H, who's starting a book study. When we got to that, we'll be doing step three. And then, so Paige, who's our money book study, we'll be doing step four. Kevin O being doing five. I'll be doing six and seven. And David G and Dave G being eight and nine. And then we bring in some of our outside big book people that are our big book companion that we owe huge debts to because they help us so much Is Howard yeah, E. is going to be doing step 10. And then we got um, from Keystone, um, Tony R. is going to be doing step 11. And then Sarah L. Um, from from Sweden, who's phenomenal, she's uh, big with cocaine anonymous there, we're doing step 12. And so it's like, it's kind of neat that we're kind of get all the people that have helped this thing grow in one month and yeah. It's I, I put the list, and you know, not everyone's known on that list. And when I put it up in Big Book Compendium on Facebook, people are like, "Oh, I love all these people!" So it's like it shows that we've gotten you know names out there and stuff. So it's exciting. So, and next month, the the twelve after that I already have ideas too. So, there's a lot, a lot of interesting things happening, cool things happening. So, anyways, well, I think if, it's,
3: thanks oh. to Sora and Annette that I am here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she said uh, she's kicking into us. Yeah, yep. yep. All righty. Well, everyone have a good. Stay warm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know who who be the coldest here or not, but <laughs> I know it's. it's what was it? it? Was twelve degrees? It was um, eleven degrees. I just read somewhere, and then somewhere else was like un, like below. Is anyone below zero? No. <laughs> no.
2: next week. Where are you at, Steve?
1: i'm in oakley california so about between san francisco and sacramento and we're like 40 degrees right now so
2: yeah i I was in california for 20 years this is the only time of year i miss it
1: (laughs) but where are you at now
2: in michigan
1: oh michigan okay it's cold (laughs)
2: it's been up until now though
1: are you far from reggie and those guys in michigan or
2: i don't know where are they at
1: Oh, he's, Reggie's one of our regulars. He was here earlier. He's he's in Michigan as well. He's like, he's like um, I forget where he's out there.
2: I am north of Detroit and south of Flint. So okay. I'm kind of in the middle there. But I want to thank you for tonight, and I'm going to say
1: goodnight. All right. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you. To Thanks, Thanks, sort of Tomorrow.
0: Thank you, Woody. That was outstanding. I always wondered how that was structure was done. It was very good on that um uh-huh. the levels, you know, taking the levels and culminating the same thing. Kinda of made me think if if they're gonna another level in the future, you know. Um
1: yeah, you never know. You, know. you <laughs> uh, never know. That
0: was very well done. I I always wanted to hook up on something like that. So I got you recorded on my telephone. <laughs>
1: Good, cool. Well, good, Thank see Thank you. you very much for coming. I yeah. think
3: really think thanks already. for
1: the meeting. Thanks, thanks, Steve. All right, see you guys Steve, later. See you next bro. week. Great job. See you later. <laughs> Hasta la vista.
0: It's
3: actually ten degrees warmer here, Steve, right now. What's that? In-